Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. And uh, we're actually going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 2. So I know the folks in the sound booth may not have known that till right now because kind of just decided that. So, well, we are continuing a series uh, on discipleship here at Ashland that we're calling Equipped a Path for Discipleship. And we have unpacked so far uh, definition for discipleship that we have, which we uh, define as following Jesus, seek, uh, following Jesus, seeking to know him according to his word that we apply to our lives in light of the gospel. That's what uh, discipleship is. That's how we define it here. And we're unpacking that to, to follow Christ means to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. But we do so as witnesses, um, those who declare Jesus is Lord. No matter what, that's how we take up our cross and follow him. And yet as we do that, we're seeking to know him according to his word and that we apply our lives to in light of the gospel. And last week we talked about uh, knowing him, seeking to know Christ. And we talked a little bit about the discipline of theology, studying God to know him and how that affects our life personally. It's not this academic pursuit or this abstract discipline. It is to know him personally. And this week we're going to talk about knowing him according to his word and what it means to study the Bible. And next week we will talk about spiritual disciplines. But we do so from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 15. And even as we have just heard so powerfully sung, uh, the question, do you tremble before the word of God? Because what will happen in your life over the next 45 minutes to maybe an hour is dependent on the way you answer that question. Do you gather in these moments realizing the word of God is the authoritative word of Christ to you? And you've gathered to tremble before his voice and to order your life and shape everything, who you are and what you do, your mission, your plan, your agenda in light of the word of God. That happens when we tremble (laughs) Before the word of God, realizing that this is the holy God of the universe who has created us for his glory and saved us in Christ, who is speaking to us. Stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word at this time. Second Timothy, chapter three, beginning in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and will judge them at his appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience 
and teaching. Oh God, I pray that we would tremble before your word. And God, I pray that this would never be a time in the life of this church where something is done other than the preaching of your word. God, our souls are dependent upon your word. It is your word that created all things. It is your word that took on flesh to save us from our sins. It is your word that we will gather around for eternity and surrender and service. It is your word whose name is Jesus. Who seeks to change us in these moments. By your spirit would we follow him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May be seated. Oh, I, I love this song. My granddad, on his back porch, reached over to an old boom box, boom box that I had actually had in high school that I'd left at his house, and he had put on the back porch so he could listen to his country music throughout the day. And a song came on, and he reached over, and you could tell he was excited to turn it up and share it with me was a popular country song and, and you could just tell by the look in his eyes like this was his jam he'd been waiting for this and yet I was very intrigued by the song and why he was enjoying it so much it wasn't his style it wasn't bro country thank the Lord but it was sort of that semi-contemporary country music song of the day this was Maybe mid to late 90s. And the storyline involved picking up a bottle of wine and taking your girlfriend out on a date. Which made it even more interesting as to why he was so into this song. And why he was enjoying it so much. And I realized he was entering sort of his church mode and listening to music, had different modes. You know, there's country music, there's church music, and he was in his church music mode. And as I watched him sing the song, I realized he was mistaking the word. He was singing the words, words that weren't there. And he mistakenly thinks this song says there might be a little dust on the Bible. And he had unknowingly Christianized the song, there might be a little dust on the bottle. And it describes doing something very different than reading your Bible on date night, on a back road. But he was all into it. He was in his southern revivalistic fills over this. And just this week, today and I were, we were in Cabela's, I think, and that song came on and I cannot hear that song now without saying there might be a little dust on the Bible. And if you go and listen to that song today, it fits. It, 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 it it's Christian. It, it is a song about Christian courting when you switch those words. And I always hear it. Well, the reality is many Christians who study the Bible and they are familiar with the story. We know it. We read it. We sing it. We love it. With all our might, we declare its truth. 
Many of us have missed the point of the Bible. And we're singing something that's not true because we miss the most important word. Jesus. You see, Satan loves to convince us that the Bible is saying something other than Jesus. And we can read the Bible in the most religious ways. We can study the Bible in the most rigorous ways. We can love all the stories of the Bible, all the heroes of the Bible, all of the theology of the Bible. But if we miss Jesus and not just miss Jesus, we minimize Jesus. We're singing the wrong song. And we end up in a, in a place way more scandalous than a back road in Tennessee with a bottle of wine. Homemade wine. You see, the Bible is about Jesus. And we can only know God in Jesus. And it is in the Bible that God has revealed Jesus to us. And as we talk about seeking to know Jesus according to His Word and applying our lives to the gospel, to the gospel in light of the gospel to His Word, we can't miss Jesus. Even in all of that talk about Jesus, we can miss Jesus if we really don't understand what the Bible is about. We only know God in Jesus. We know Jesus in the Word of God. And hopefully as we study the Bible to follow Jesus, we will never hear it a different way. Every verse, every chapter, every story, we will hear Jesus loud and clear. In our text today, we find Paul's letter to Timothy. He is a young church planner in Ephesus. And he is preaching the word of God. And as he preaches the word of God, he begins to suffer for the word of God. And Paul writes two letters to Timothy and how to order the church. And in 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, I know you're enduring persecution. Inside the church, there's division, there's conflict. And outside the church, I know you're enduring suffering, but do not compromise the gospel. Continue to preach the gospel that saved your soul. Amidst suffering, do not move away from truth. And he says in verse 15, the truth that you have clung to your whole life and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You see, Timothy's dad was a Greek and did not teach him the scriptures, but his mother and grandmother, they discipled him in the Old Testament that Paul refers to here as the sacred writings. And he says, the Old Testament, these sacred writings that you have known all your life, notice verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation. See, the Bible paints a picture of wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom is to fear the Lord and to say, you created me and what you say and how you call me to live my life. That matters more than anything. And I will surrender to your word. Foolishness is to live as if there is no God and to do what you want to. And here, Paul says the Old Testament is able to make you wise. You, you have a creator. He's telling a story. You see the big picture and you have been wise to live according to his story, which makes you wise for salvation. Notice through faith in Jesus Christ. 
faith, confidence, reliance on Jesus Christ, Savior, King, the King who saves you from your sins. So Paul, even in talking about the Old Testament to Timothy, says the Old Testament teaches you a wisdom of salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ, looking to him. And you say, how did the Old Testament make Timothy wise to salvation? Jesus isn't even in the Old Testament, is he? That's why we have to understand the Bible is one big story about Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one hero. There is one character. The whole Bible is a story about Jesus And so from beginning to end of the Old Testament, there is this setting up. It is setting the stage. It is preparing us for the Savior King that is coming. And so as Timothy heard the the word of God from his mother and grandmother, and he went to vacation Torah school, and he memorized all of these verses of the Old Testament, and he heard of the temple, and he heard of the tabernacle, and he heard of the Proverbs. God was setting the stage in his heart to hear the gospel when the Apostle Paul showed up and pointed to Jesus Christ and it made him wise to salvation. Timothy said, yes, that's the Messiah. That's the story of the that's it. That makes sense. Jesus fulfilled all that Timothy had learned in the Old Testament. And so as we talk about Bible study. As we talk about reading our Bible, hearing the word of God preached to be wise to salvation, Genesis to Revelation, Jesus has to be the hero of every Bible study. He has to be the hero of every sermon. And every time we open our Bibles, we must ask this question. Where is Jesus and how do I follow him by faith? How, by faith, do I follow him? Every page of the Bible, every time we open it up, it's all about him. Even as we learn here in the Old Testament, the concepts, we think about laws and we think about temple. We think about places full of glory. We think about all of those stories. They are leading us not to a place, a concept, another story. They are telling the story of the person who is Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, we read about laws. The the laws are to cause us to look for Jesus, to find Jesus, and by faith follow him as the one who has fulfilled the law for us. We think about the Proverbs. We think about wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, that is calling us to order our life in light of this wisdom we don't read the we, we don't read the wisdom literature looking for wisdom in anything else or to apply it in any other way except to Jesus. We are looking to him who is the wisest, not just the wisest. He is wisdom in flesh. And we, we believe in him. We become wise because his wisdom is credited to us. Think about all the wars in the Old Testament. We're not looking into those battles and on those battlefields to find victory for ourselves. They're leading us to an ultimate victory on the cross and in a resurrection, the victory of Jesus, who has fought the war with sin 
Satan and death and he has come out victorious. And so by faith, we look for him and we follow him on every page of the Bible. We think about the Psalms. They're not just generic songs that are out there. They are songs of a king, a king who will one day stand in the presence of his people and sing these songs with us. And so we don't separate even the Psalms from Jesus. They leave us longing for Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus. Every story, we think about all of the heroes of the Old Testament, men of faith. They were flawed and sinful. And sometimes we want to gloss over those things. We we want to act as though they had no sin. And yet they lie. They get angry. They commit adultery. They're... They, they, there's dysfunction and family abuse from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament. And yet everyone that we say is an example of faith, we're not looking to be like them in their character because they have very little character, most of them. We're looking to be like them in their faith because they're looking to the one who will come, the promised Messiah, and save them from their sins. And so they leave us longing for something better. They leave us always longing for a better hero. And so the Old Testament as a whole, it is this longing that in our souls for for a better hero, for a better king. Most of the Old Testament, we begin to focus toward the end on the kings. And God has set up kings and none of them rule Israel well. What does that do? It keeps us longing for the king. And so even there in those stories, we are looking to find Jesus so that by faith we can follow him. Paul explains this point even further in verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, when Paul is writing this, he's probably making the point. Yes, the Old Testament is the scripture breathed out by God. Also, in light of what I'm teaching And so you must believe the Old Testament as God's breathed out word, his authoritative word, Moses, the history, the Psalms, the wisdom literature, the prophets, the Old Testament scripture that Jesus himself referred to as his Bible. The Old Testament was the word of God that Jesus referred to and preached and taught. But here we can also deduce that Paul's talking about the New Testament that we also have. Because Jesus promised the Spirit would guide us in all truth. And we begin to see that as the apostles, by the Spirit of God, began to teach the church. And that's why we call the apostles the foundation of the church. Before the Word of God is complete, they are giving these letters. They are delivering the Word of God to their church, to the church. And the collective teachings of the apostles are then viewed on par with the Old Testament Scripture. And so if I lost you, here's the point. The Old Testament and the New Testament is the Word of God. There you go. That's what Paul's saying. But notice how he describes it. Breathed out by God. It means God inspired. But it's not as though like we go out and we see a sunset and we go, oh, that inspired me to write a song. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about God inspired scripture. No, he's talking about the process whereby Men were carried along by the Spirit of God. 
Peter describes it as being blown along like a sailboat. The wind blows it wherever it may wish it to go. And that's the same thing going on with the word of God. The spirit comes and it blows these men to pen exactly what God would have them to say. It, it, it blows upon their writings to deliver the very word of God. To pen the holy scriptures. And so that's why we can say with the Bible, 66 books of the Bible written by 33 men. This is exactly what God would have said to us because his spirit declared it in their writings in what they said. It's all one story about Jesus where the spirit is guiding men to write, write to all of these people and all of these circumstances and all of these situations. And yet it is exactly what God would say. So we, we never open our Bible and we read it and say, when I read my Bible, it's like God is speaking to me. When, when we read our Bible together, it is as if God is speaking to me. No, when we open the Bible and we read it and we study it, it is God speaking to you. It's not as if. It's not like. This is the word of God. And it's exactly what God would say on every page. And it's exactly what God would say to you today as you open it and read it. And it's so important to understand that when we talk about discipleship. To understand the nature of the authority of God's word helps us understand the nature of discipleship. You see, discipleship involves authority. There has to be a teacher. And that's why Jesus was called a rabbi. He was an authoritative teacher. It wasn't just we use the word mentor a lot. That's a weak expression of what is described in discipleship in Jesus's time. No, the rabbi was the authority. They were the end all be all. And what they said was true. And what they told you to do, you had to do because they were your authority. It wasn't their their views. It wasn't their opinions. And we've got to understand that, especially in our culture and climate. Because everyone has an opinion. And everyone is an expert on anything they want to be an expert on today. All they have to do is find an article on the Internet, Wikipedia something, or look at their friend Bob's Facebook page, and they become an expert. In yard work, your car problems, parenting, the economy, how to get moles out of your yard. Look for an expert and you will find one very quickly. Just post on your neighborhood Facebook page. Need help, need suggestions, and everybody is an expert. And then before it's over, everybody's arguing about who's right, about how to, to, you know, plant your, when you should plant your flowers. And everybody's arguing because everybody's an expert. From your professors to Bob at the Quick Mart. But discipleship only happens if there is a point of deference. Meaning you are the authority. And I submit my wisdom and thoughts to you. And that's why when we come before the word of God, we must tremble. If you don't tremble before the word of God, you will not follow Jesus. If you don't 
see the Word of God as your final authority on everything. You won't understand God. You won't know God. And you will not follow Him. We see in the life of Jesus that Jesus is described as the authoritative Word of God in flesh. And what does the authoritative Word of God do? He commands His followers, follow Me. And what that means is, come be with Me and I will be your authority on everything from now on. I will tell you what to do and how to do it. And at the end of the day, my word is my word and it is the final word. And so when we read the New Testament and Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. When we read the Gospels and Jesus is saying, love your enemy as yourself. When he says, make disciples of all nations. Because we believe that the Bible is just his view or opinion. So often we read those things and we say, oh, I'll worry about that later. I'm not ready for that. That's just Jesus's view. That's just his opinion. You will not follow him if that's the way you think about the word of God. But if you say this is the word of God, this is his authoritative follow me on every page. You will take up your cross and you will follow him. See, we open the word of God. God's not saying you really should consider my advice. No, he's saying I am your authority. And this is a command and this is a call on on your life for your good. And so when we open up our Bibles and we ask the question, where is Jesus and how do I follow him by faith? We see the word of God as our authority. And so when the word of God is teaching about heaven and hell in sin, we don't look upon it as just some archaic wisdom for a day gone by. No, it is Jesus's authority that is actually shaping eternal reality for us. This is what it means to live before me. This is what it means to sin against me. These are the consequences for sinning against me. Hell is real. It is eternal torture Under the wrath of God forever. And yet heaven is real. For those who believe in Jesus. In his presence forever. Serving him. Free from sin and death. Those things are real. And we know about them because of the authoritative word of God. So we open up our Bibles. And we see what God teaches about gender and sex and marriage. It's not just his opinion. It's not just one view of the day. It is the view. That the creator is establishing in his universe that brings him glory, that brings him delight in the way he will order things. It is our authority when we read about how we should use our tongues. No grumbling, no complaining, no gossip, no slander. God's not just correcting your, you know, I know it's sin, but and I know God says this, but. No, we take it seriously and we say, if God is, is saying this is sin, I must surrender before him. And I must ask the question, how can I follow him with the way that I talk? When Jesus is talking about resources and investments, he's not just giving us tips for better business or a happier life. It is his authoritative word. It is the final word. As we think about following him, we must see it as such. But notice the text continues and profitable for teaching. Now, the word profitable here, it means useful. It means of purpose. It means beneficial. 
It means sufficient. It means the word of God is sufficient. Notice for teaching. And he's not referring to a method of teaching. He's referring to a system of teaching or doctrine or theology. It is the word of God that teaches us what to think about God. It is where we go to to know who God is, to be taught about him. Notice he continues. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Now, the word reproof, it means to rebuke. It means to sternly rebuke. And so the word of God is sufficient to rebuke you, to criticize you. The way you think about God, the way you're living your life, the word of God is sufficient and necessary to rebuke you. Notice it continues for correction. The word correction means to pick up after something has been knocked down. And so you see how that works? The word of God rebukes you for what you believe, how you're living. But then the word of God picks you up and puts you in place and sets you on a course. The word is actually also used for the breaking of a bone. The, the, the breaking of a bone that may be deformed in some way and you break it and you put it back in place and then it's straight and then it's even stronger than it was before. So to be strong in the Lord, you must be broken down by his word to be put back together. The word of God is sufficient to do that. And so as we think about following Jesus according to his word, and as we talked about, we're asking the question, where is Jesus and how in the word of God can I follow him by faith? What we find as we begin to dig in the word of God, and this is all about Jesus, all of these qualities of the word of God that he says the word of God is sufficient for, we begin to understand Jesus is sufficient for these things. And so as you study your, your Bible, you begin to understand Jesus is sufficient for teaching. To teach me what I should know about God. Jesus is sufficient to rebuke me. Jesus is sufficient to correct me. Jesus is sufficient for all of those things in the word of God. So some more questions as you do Bible study. The first is, you open up your Bible. Where is Jesus and how by faith can I follow him? And then as you study the scripture, you ask this question. What is Jesus teaching me about God. If the word of God is profitable for teaching and it's about Jesus, is Jesus teaching me about God? And what we see Jesus teaches us about God in flesh is God is holy, meaning he's not like you. As you read the Bible, hopefully you see that. Hopefully you see God created you in his image and you can't create him in your image. And Jesus teaches us that in sinless perfection, that God is holy. But also what Jesus teaches us about God is that while he is holy, for those who believe in Jesus, he is a good father who takes care of his children, which means he is a holy father. So you open up the Bible, you're, you're searching out Jesus, you're getting to Jesus, you finally get to Jesus. What is Jesus teaching you about God? In Him, you have a holy Father who loves you. And because He's holy, He loves you with a holy love. And so you study your, but what is Jesus teaching me? He is a holy father who loves me. And so you begin to move from God is this distant force. This this abstract being to a father who loves me. Question, 
you ask. If the Bible is sufficient for reproof, you ask, how is Jesus challenging my thoughts about God? So the Bible is sufficient for rebuke and to criticize To critique the way you think about God. So every time you open your Bible, you have to ask, how is Jesus challenging my thoughts about God? Most of the time we come to the word of God and we believe this. It's just the nature of our sin that I'm the center of the universe and God revolves around me. We get in the word of God and Jesus corrects that because he says, no, God is the center of the universe and I'm his king and the world revolves around me. But God is a good king. He's a holy father. He's a good king. And through the cross, he's died for my sins. He's been raised from the dead. He promises me this eternal kingdom and he's been good. And so I come to the word of God and and I've been thinking God is against me. I've been living life like I deserve more. I've been thinking, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on in my life? And Jesus begins to rebuke those thoughts when I open up the page of Scripture. And He says, no, 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 no. Cross. Your eternal sin has been paid for on the cross. And you have eternity with a holy, good Father. What more would you want? God is good. He's not bad. He's not against you. And so Jesus challenges your thoughts about God when you open up the Bible. The next question you ask is, how is Jesus seeking to change my heart? If the Bible is sufficient to correct us, it knocks us down, but it puts us back in the right spot, on the right way. We open up our Bibles. We're searching to find Jesus and follow him by faith. We find him. What are you teaching me about God? How are you challenging my thoughts? And how are you seeking to change my heart, Jesus? Because in light of his goodness, we see his goodness as a good, holy father in Jesus. And how do our hearts begin to change? We move from doubting him, maybe being angry at him, bitter with him. To trusting him. Our hearts begin to move from despair to hope. And so as Jesus has challenged us, we ask him, how is he changing our hearts? And, and we see, you want me to trust you more. You want me to hope in you. Jesus, help me trust the Father and hope in the Father the way that you do. And we see the way he's changing our heart. But notice the last phrase there. The word of God is profitable teaching, reproof, correction and training and righteousness. The word for training here, it's actually a word we could use exercising, discipline in righteousness. And we want to be very clear when we hear the word righteous, we our minds go to places, but we want to be very clear. You're not earning your righteousness by doing all these things in Bible study. You're being trained in righteousness. Those are two different things. Jesus is perfect. He's good. He's righteous, meaning he always does what is right and you don't. And so you can't earn his righteousness and and you can't achieve the righteousness that he has. But you can be trained in his righteousness. You can learn how to live as Jesus does in righteousness. And because the word of God is our final authority, we are trained by the master in righteousness. 
We are trained by the king of righteousness. And so how does all this fit together? All of this is summed up eventually in this training in righteousness. If if Jesus changes the way I think about God, if Jesus is think is changing the way my heart is to, toward God, then eventually I'm going to act upon those things. I'm going to act as if God is a good father who loves me. I'm going to act upon that changed heart in trust and faith. And so what does that look like as the spirit by the word of God begins to shape our thoughts, shape our hearts and conform us into the image of Christ? What does that look like? Prayer? Sure. Evangelism? Sure. More Bible study? Sure. Church attendance? All of those things are a part. Of seeing God for who he is and having a right heart toward him. But Jesus sums up righteousness in the words, thy will be done. That's what righteousness looks like. And if you're being trained by the master of righteousness, we see that's where his righteousness led him. To a bloody cross. To sacrifice. We talked about this Philippians, that righteousness is always summed up in sacrifice and other centeredness. And just like Jesus, who sees the father correctly, just like Jesus, who knows the father is good, just like Jesus, whose heart is to trust the father. We follow him in righteousness by taking up our cross and following him all the way back to the beginning of our definition. Following Jesus. That's what it looks like. Following him in sacrifice. And so we ask, where is Jesus and how should I follow him? We will find following him to a bloody cross is where he's taking us. Because following him always leads away from self to God, which culminates in sacrifice. And that is the righteousness we're being changed in, transformed, trained to. And so another question is, how is Jesus, what, where is Jesus calling me to follow him in righteousness and sacrifice? And so before you put your Bible down and walk away from the scripture, that should be the question you ask yourself. If I've really encountered the holy God who is a good father, who's changed my heart, how can I follow the son in righteousness and sacrifice? And so you walk away from your Bible and you say, What enemy is God calling me to love today? Because that's what Jesus does. He loves his enemies. He loves those who are different than him. He dies for sinners who aren't like him. This is there's someone on your street who's who's a different ethnicity. In in your heart, your whole life, you've been trained not to like them. You drive by their house and you sort of seethe. If you've been in the word of God and you're being trained in righteousness, one day you're going to drive by their house and go, I need to love them. What can I do today to love them? That's what it looks like to be like Jesus, trained like Jesus. Maybe it's someone who has different political views than you. Maybe it's someone who was different on a high school, on a different high school team than you were on. Maybe I don't know what it is. Maybe it's someone who hit the back of your car at church when it was ice on the ground and you haven't spoken to them in three weeks. Maybe because being in the word of God today, you're going to go talk to them after the service because you're trained in righteousness. Everybody's looking around. That was an abstract illustration. I don't think it happened. 
And so you, how can I sacrifice? And so you ask the question, if God is good, what tangible way can I give to others? Is there every time you walk away from your Bible, is there time, is there money, is there resources that I can sacrifice to follow Jesus in righteousness? Is there are there ways I can risk to prove this is true, that that it's good as Jesus did to trust the father and follow him in sacrifice? Is there awkwardness for the sake of the gospel I can embrace? Is there danger for the sake of the gospel I can embrace? Because that's. The righteousness that Jesus is training us in. And so real quickly, as we think about all of these things, studying the word of God, finding Jesus, following him in righteousness. Paul then transitions to Timothy and he says, this isn't just abstract. This is for you, the pastor. Notice verse 17. He says, the word of God is sufficient for all of those things. We find Jesus is sufficient for those things. Notice that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. He's referring to the pastor here who is in charge of shepherding the church. It is the pastor who has in the word of God everything he needs to be equipped to equip. How is the church to be equipped? Well, it begins here. The pastor is the lead disciple maker. I want to be clear, not the only, not the best. But it begins here in the context of the church. When we as the church come before the word of God and say, that's our authority. And he says, your shepherds have everything they need to be disciple makers in the church. And notice he says, verse one, this is where Paul, if if the word of God's our authority, where are we headed? Notice he says, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God in Jesus Christ as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. I charge you. It's literally I call you to order in the presence of God in Jesus. They're witnesses here. What I'm about to say to you. And God and Jesus Christ, they they will judge you. They will judge the living and the dead and and by his appearing and his kingdom. Timothy, one day you as a pastor, you will stand before God and you will give an account for what you believe about the word of God. What what you think and how you feel and, and what is this and how does it apply to the church? You will give an account one day when Jesus returns before God. Of everything you believe about this book. And so here's what you do. Preach the word. Preach the word. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The God-breathed scriptures. You will be held accountable as a preacher. He can't be more severe here. He says, Pastor... You will one day be taken to the highest court in the universe. You will stand before God and give an account for what you did in your ministry and the life of the church. What did you do? Balance the checkbook? Park cars? Fishing with church members, ball games. What did you do? You should do all of those things. But if you don't preach the word, you're a failure. You lie about what you believe the word of God to be. 
Notice he continues. You preach the word in season and out of season at all times. When the culture likes it, when the culture doesn't like it, when it's cool, when it's easy, on weeks you have time to do it, on weeks you don't have time to do it, you still have to do it. You preach the word. You notice we go all the way back to what the word of God does. Reprove, rebuke, it corrects. It exhorts. He says exhort with the word of God. You come alongside with patience and teaching. You preach the word of God and it does all of these things Jesus does. All of these things Jesus is sufficient for. And so you lift Jesus up from the scripture, not your opinion. You call people to follow Jesus, not you or the brand of your church. And you do it with complete patience. Years and years and years of continual service in the word. That's what you do. And you establish teaching. Patience in teaching what the church believes. And so we see here that preaching must be the centerpiece of theology and discipleship in the church. It has to be. You can't have shallow preaching and deep discipleship. And you can't have shallow preaching and righteous disciples. Those things don't happen. The level of discipleship will rise to the level of the preaching. And what I mean by that is preaching that believes this is the word of God and preaches it. I'm not talking about style and I'm not talking about ability. I'm talking about preaching that says this is the word of God. This is it. I'm talking about preaching that says every week we're going to do what we will do for millions of years before Jesus. We stand and we serve before his authority. So we're going to stand in reverence to his word every week because we're going to be reminded every week that it is not the culture, that it's not strategy. It's not the, the schemes of men that are going to guide our church. It is the word of God. So we stand in reverence to it. We tremble before it. Week after week, we come before the story of the of the scripture and central to the story is God's plans and purposes for his church. And so as members of a church and witnesses in the church, we come before the word of God and we say, where do I fit in this story? Where is Jesus and how do I follow him? Oh, Jesus loves his church. Jesus gave himself for his church. I find that on every page of scripture. And so I'm going to give my life for his church because that's where Jesus is. And that's how by faith I'm going to follow him. And I know that in his word. I know it. Because his word is my authority. And so we're reminded of that week after week. We remember, we begin to see as we take part in this process that the word changes us. It gives us a right view of God, gives us right thinking, gives us right living, righteousness before God. We're put on course. But we've got to realize as we think about disciples following Jesus according to his word, that growing in inconvenience is inconvenient. Learning and following Jesus according to his word, it's not easy not easy. Now, a lot of us understand that. Our, we got a bunch of health nuts around here. You understand that. I see your Insta in the gym and all your, your nice food, expensive food that you buy and you guilt us for not eating. You know that takes discipline and that is hard. That's a struggle. You even talk to us about the way when we work out, our muscles are, are torn down. Micro tears. I was reading this week. 
How do I fit that in here? Our muscles are torn every time we work out and then they're put back together. And that's a painful process. And it is a process that you take part in every time you come before the word of God. Your muscles of righteousness torn and then put back together. And you go, ooh, that hurt a little bit. Because when I've come before God, I thought I was right. And now I'm wrong. And the word of God is a two-edged sword and it pierces and it's painful and it hurts. And so the discipline of just like working out and being healthy, the discipline of working in the word, it is a struggle. And for some of us, it's just the discipline of doing it. That's the problem. For others, it is the pain of being corrected. You don't like to be corrected. You don't like to be told what to do. And that's painful. And for others, it's just the soreness of learning how to live in righteousness. That's the problem. Oh, I don't like doing this. I've never used these muscles. I've never served in this way. Never been stretched in this way. And this work of of being trained in righteousness, it is difficult. And it is a difficult process that we engage in before the Word of God. But here's the key. What is your goal? Because if your goal is like working out, some of us will endure the discipline. Others of us will endure the soreness and the strain and the struggle. We'll all endure that because why? We like the results. We like the way we look and we like the way we feel. We like all of that. And so we will suffer for the results. But if the Bible is just an inspirational self-help book on how to win at life, you will not suffer in studying it. Because you don't need another inspirational self-help book to teach you how to love yourself. You have no trouble with that. I don't need more help in how to love myself. And so I don't need to open up the Bible to learn how to do that. If the Bible is just a list of self-righteousness, things I can do for God and compare myself to others, you will not dig in. Why? Because eventually you're going to come really sore from doing that. And there's no results from that. You're going to wear yourself out. And you're never going to get to Jesus because it's going to be about you. Now, the end of Bible study is I get to Jesus and I follow him before a good and loving God. And I risk and I sacrifice and I suffer because he's good and he takes care of me. And I follow him as I follow the son. We should never settle for less Bible ever. If there's anything you can cut out of your week, make sure it's not the Bible. Make sure. Martin Luther one time said, I've got so much to do today. I need to get up three hours earlier and get in the word of God in prayer. Don't cut the Bible out. But we should not settle for Bible less study either. Just generic studies where we tack the Bible on. But even more than that, we should never, ever settle for Jesus less Bible study. That's what makes it sing. When you can get to Jesus, you can't get enough of the Word of God. That's what brings joy to your hearts when you get to Jesus. Oh, He's all I need. He's my righteousness. He's my pavement. He's my King. He's all I need now and for eternity. There you go again. You proved it to me once again, God. I will follow you by faith as I follow your Son. Because if it's not 
following Jesus, seeking to know him according to his word that we apply our lives to in light of the gospel, we might as well leave dust on the Bible. 